Well, if you will turn to uh, Acts chapter 21 in your Bible, uh, Acts chapter 21, I will be referring to some other passages this morning, uh, and so uh, if you have your Bible, use that. If you need one, you can find one in the pew in front of you, and then also, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, we'd love to give you one. Uh, just grab one. On the way out the back double doors, you'll find a whole stack of them. Uh, so grab, uh, maybe not the whole stack, but, but take yourself one. Uh, so this morning, we're looking at Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21, we're going to start at 37. Now, here's the thing. If you're looking there, it's a lot of text, isn't it? It's a lot of Scripture. And what's the temptation when you see all that Scripture? Your eyes glaze over. You start thinking about lunch. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray and ask God to help us. Father, help us. Uh, We love your Word, and we pray that we would cherish it even now, that you would help us to attend to the public reading of your Word. Help us by your Spirit, we ask. In the name of Jesus, amen. Acts chapter 21, verse 37. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, or rather Aramaic, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I have, that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priests and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand of those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing beside me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and I saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see his righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, they listened to him. 
And they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out uh, why they were shouting against him like this. And when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? He said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I am a citizen from birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune was also afraid. And he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And now as um, it is preached, I pray that you would give unction and anointing um, to the preacher and hearer alike. We need your help, Lord. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Have you ever been really excited about renewing old friendships? Uh, Perhaps moving back to where you're from or seeing someone a long time after college. or But then when you get together, you realize you're not the same person and they aren't the same people. You know, I remember going back to Montgomery after our seminary days. Montgomery is where I'm from, and we moved there to work at a church plant in downtown Montgomery, and I was so excited to get to renew a lot of those old friendships, to renew some of those mentoring relationships I had. And and do you know, apart from my family, uh, my parents and then my brother and his family, none of those really happened. It turns out they were different people. And so was I. We both had life experiences that had gone in different directions. And they had grown, and I had grown, and things were different. In our text this morning, we see Paul returning to his old people, to the Jews. Paul had gone back to Jerusalem several times. After every missionary journey, he'd gone back to give a report to uh, the church there. But for the first time, we're going to see him interact in a significant manner uh, with with the crowds with a large number of his old people. This is about 20 years after he had left, uh, over 20 years since the martyrdom of Stephen. A lot has happened since then. He left, last time he saw them to any great extent, the crowds in the temple, he left them as one who was going to take people away from their homes in Damascus and bring them back, kicking and screaming to be punished. Uh, And now he's returned over 20 years later, and he's the most fruitful evangelist in all of the world of the one he was seeking to persecute to say that he was a different person than they currently were or who he used to be is quite the understatement. And so perhaps it's not a surprise that there, there's going to be some tension as there's a different uh, difference in worldview. And in the end, we see that they just didn't love Jesus and they stood in the way of the spread of the kingdom of God, especially to the Gentiles. Well, it's been a while since we've been in Acts, so how do, we, how do we get here? You'll remember that Paul has now ended his third missionary journey, and he had been told by the Holy Spirit uh, and by a prophet or two and by his brothers and sisters in Christ, hey, if you go there, you're going to be jailed. And Jesus had told him when he first called him, he said, this is going to go poorly for you, at least according to a human sense. It's going to face a lot of affliction, a lot of persecution. And so that's actually what happened. He shows up in Jerusalem, and soon he is, um, he is imprisoned. He is captured. Why? Because there were those from the province of Asia, Jews, who thought that he had brought into the temple complex um, Gentiles. 
and to areas that were only reserved for Jews. Now, that doesn't seem like a big deal for us. It really doesn't. But, but for them, it was a big deal. They were parts of the temple that only the circumcised Jews, those who were devoutly Jewish, could go into. And they thought Paul had brought in some who were uncircumcised, who weren't Jewish, and, and a, a mob ensued. In fact, they tried to kill him. They tried to kill him. And in fact, they, they, they dragged him out of the temple complex, and they shut the gates of the temple lest he escape and go back in there. Well, the only reason he is kept from being killed is because on the corner of the temple is built the Roman fortress of Antonia. And Antonia was garrisoned by a thousand troops led by a, a, um, a man named a, called a tribune, which is a technical word for a commander of thousand. His name is Claudius Lysias. We learned that later in Acts. It'll become important. Well, Claudius Lysias shows up and he stops the mob from killing Paul, but just barely. It gets so bad that the troops have to pick Paul up and physically walk him, run him, escort him to the, to the barracks for his own safety. Now, this is where it gets kind of funny. I don't know how they carried Paul. You know, did, did they roll him up like a, a rug, you know, and two or three folks are dragging him, you know, carrying him along? Or do they, they put him over their shoulders? I, I don't know, but at some point as he gets close to the barracks, he turns his head being carried. He tries to get the tribune's attention. He says, hey, can I say something to you? Now, the tribune, Claudius Lysias, um, is surprised because he was expecting to hear a different accent, a different way of speaking. But what he heard was a very polished form of Greek. You know, I, I imagine that most of us, if we heard Greek speaking, it would, it would all sound what? Like, you know, it was a bad joke here, right? It would all... <laughs> All sound like Greek to us. Uh, but, but imagine if you know, the difference between a deep southern accent and a, and a Brooklyn, New York accent. And if you expect to hear a Brooklyn accent, and then you hear something really deeply southern, backwoods, it's going to get your attention. And that's what happens here. And he says, who are you? I thought you were the Egyptian that led the assassins out into the wilderness. He thought he was an Egyptian. This would have been one of the, the top ten list kind of guys that they were all looking for. And Claudius thinks he's gotten one of these guys, and his career is going to go places. This was a man who had led a revolt into the wilderness, and they actually stormed the Mount of Olives, uh, and it was put down very ferociously by Felix. And so it turns out that Paul's not that man. And Paul says, no, no, I'm not. He says, I'm a Jew from Tarsus of Cilicia, a citizen of no mean a city. And then he asked for permission to speak to the crowds. Now, let me ask you something. Why in the world did he let him speak to the crowd? From Claudius's perspective, this is the man who's just created a riot. And usually in that kind of situation, the last person you want to speak to the crowds is that guy. But by God's Spirit, Claudius gives him permission, and he begins to speak. Now, before we get into the context or the content of this speech, let's talk about who these people were. Uh, if you have a Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 3. If you're using the Pew Bible in front of you, you'll find that on page 1249. Philippians 3, and we'll begin reading at verse 4 in just a minute. See, the, the people in the crowds, and there are thousands of people in the crowds. Most of the people in the crowd are those who would have really um, identified with who Paul used to be over two decades earlier. And in Philippians chapter 3, we have Paul recounting uh, who he thought he was or who he was before he became a Christian. 
And this really does describe them. Let's pick up at Philippians 3, verse 4, and we'll go through 6. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as the law of Pharisee, as the zeal of persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. All right, keep your finger. We're going to uh, pick back up in just a second, Philippians 3. Who were these people? They were people who were relying on two different things for their standing before God. The first was they were, they were relying on their heritage for their standing before God. They thought that since they were the physical offspring of Abraham, that they were good. They had been circumcised. They had been set apart. They weren't those ugly, terrible Gentiles whom God hates. But we know that God loves all those who are physically from the line of Abraham. This was their thinking. You know, I remember going back to a funeral of a classmate several years ago and getting to see a bunch of folks in my class there. You know, there were still those cliques. You remember those cliques from high school? You couldn't pay me enough money to go back to high school. You know, I still didn't fit in those cliques. But, you know, there was this especially prominent clique. It was the Montgomery clique. You know, those, these are the ones who never really left high school. You know those people, right, from your high school. They never really left. They're, they're still living those glory days of high school. I sure hope my glory days are not those of high school. That would be very sad. You know, they were living those good old days. There was a new day that had come, but they didn't realize it. It's called adulthood. And it was just kind of sad to watch. Now, I got problems too, right? Well, a new day has come with the coming of Christ, right? And the fact is, He came not not just to save those of the physical line of Abraham. He he came to save all those who will put their faith in Him. He came to save His people out of every language, every nation, every people group. It's not the physical line of Abraham that matters, but rather the spiritual line of Abraham that matters. We are the sons of Abraham. Uh, One of my kids actually asked us, you know the song, Father Abraham had many sons? I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. And they ask, so how does that work if we're not all from Abraham? Well, if you're in Christ, and the promise was through Abraham, if you're in Christ, then you are of the line of Abraham. So they were relying on their heritage. Are you relying on your heritage? You're relying on your upbringing. You're relying on the faith of your parents. You're relying on the fact that you have a certain last name, but that won't get you anywhere. The second thing they were relying on, though, was their good works, their works righteousness. They, they looked at the law of the Old Testament and said, yep, doing pretty well there. Now, let me tell you something. If you ever look at the Ten Commandments and think, man, I'm doing a great job, I would love to take you out for a cup of coffee. Let's, uh, let's sit and chat. I've got a mirror I'd like to hold up. You know, they would look at the righteous requirements of the law and they say, man, I'm doing a great job. See, they said they were looking for the Messiah. But they weren't looking for the Messiah to save them. They didn't need saving. They were fine. They were looking for a Messiah to get rid of the Romans. And then maybe it'd be nice if the Messiah kind of stepped aside. They didn't need much saving. But Paul had been like them. These were his people. These were his, as we young people, 37 and a half younger say, these were his peeps, right? They would have served together, worshipped together, raised families together, but there's something radically different between the two now. 
That's what we pick up in Philippians 3, verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. See, by God's grace and mercy, Paul had been rescued from the old man, from the old creation. He was no longer who he once was. Everything he had counted on for salvation, his heritage and his good works, he says here he counted them as rubbish. Some translations say dung. The better translation is one that you can't put in print in an English Bible because it's too strong. It's a bad word in our, in our days. That, that's what he thought of those things. He clung no longer to his heritage or good works, but rather to Jesus through faith. And here's the thing. These two groups, Paul and the crowds, they were like oil and water. You know, I remember being at that funeral and seeing all my classmates. You know, all my insecurities came rushing back. You have insecurities too? I know I do. They all came rushing back. The Montgomery crowd was there all standing, talking to each other in a circle, and I was physically outside that circle. And you know what? They didn't make room for me. And so there I was. I remember I was, I, mean, I just remember this really well. I was holding a bag from the bookstore at the church, and I just kind of stood there thinking, yeah, this is about right. This is how I remember it. I'm not playing the victim, I'm not looking for pity. But we were like oil and water, we were different people. We were different people. That's what's going on in our text. There's a a clash of worldviews, a clash of standing before God. Paul had been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light, and they were still in the darkness. They couldn't see. They were in the dark. He had received a new heart, and they still had hearts of stone. He was now a slave of God, but they were slaves of sin. He was now a child of God, but they were still under the power of Satan. He was a new creation, and they were still hanging on to the old man. There's no question that they were going to see things differently. We shouldn't be surprised when we have different worldviews. We have different perspectives from our unbelieving friends and family. You ever talk to someone and say, I just don't think we see this the same way. That's because spiritually, that is the truth. Well, Paul got permission to speak, and so he did with great skill. He knew there would be a conflict between his and theirs. And so if you actually have a a careful study of this text, you'll see that he he goes a long way not to offend them in as many ways as possible. He says offensive things because he declares the gospel, but he calls them brothers and fathers. He's going to identify with them at several places. He says, you know, you're zealous for the law just as I am or as I was. He had a story to tell. He had told it to the nations. He told it to the Gentiles, and now he has a unique opportunity to tell his nation, his people, while he stands on the outside of the barracks in Roman custody. We can divide his speech into three sections. We're not going to look at this at great detail because we've, we've already looked at the conversion of Paul in Acts 9, and we're going to get it again, actually, uh, before we're done with Acts. But it, very quickly, in verses 3 through 5, we see Paul give some background. It's been 20 years since the martyrdom of Stephen. and He reminds them that he was just like them in many ways. While he was from Tarsus, he grew up in Jerusalem at the feet of, uh, of one of the top three Jewish scholars of the world, uh, Gamaliel. He was well-educated and he was zealous. He was zealous for God and he was zealous for the law. In fact, his zeal went beyond most that of anybody else. He, he seems to be the chief persecutor of the church. And 
And, and when he seems to have rooted out things going on in Jerusalem, he says, I want to go to Damascus, which is not close, by the way. And I want to get some more guys and bring them back here. Later we find in Acts that he even voted for the death of believers. We don't have any evidence that he himself stoned them, but he was um, complicit for sure. He was zealous, but you know, you can be zealous about something and be wrong. Our culture confuses being zealous and being right. Just because you say it loud doesn't mean it's true. And here he's going to tell, he's going to speak of his own people in Romans chapter 10 that they were zealous, they had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So he identifies them with them and his background. Then he tells of his conversion in verses 6 through 16. You know the events. He was on the way to Damascus uh, with, the, with the letter, with the warrant to drag Christians away. And uh, Jesus appears to him, a bright light and a voice from heaven. He's converted. He has to be led into Damascus uh, by his, the people who were following him. He's now following them. And then we get something new. Verse 14, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. The, the righteous one here, the Jews would have picked up immediately. This was talking about the Messiah. He's claiming that Jesus is the Messiah. You know, he tells his conversion story. You know, every Christian has a story to tell. Some can remember a day and time when they became a believer, and some can remember a season somewhere in here. Lord gave me a new heart. You know, hopefully your story isn't as dramatic as Paul's. Um, but everybody has a story. And it's a story that we tell to the nations, to others, people who aren't like us, but also our own people. But you know, our own people are the ones that are hardest to tell, isn't it? First of all, we have to see them again. So we, we're often afraid. That fear of man comes rushing up. But also, you know, Jesus said in Mark chapter 6, a prophet is not without honor except where? In his hometown and among his relatives and in his household. And here he is telling his own people. And they're not, they're not having it. See, Paul's not just converted, but in the last section of his speech, he talks about his calling. Christ does not just convert him, he gives him a calling. And in verse 15 we read, For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have heard. Verse 21, go, for I will send you away to the Gentiles. Now, at this point, um, whatever Paul is going to say next, we have no clue. Because the crowds, they, don't, they won't have it. Verse 22 to 23, up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air. Right? Now here's the thing. Think about all the offensive things that Paul has said up to this point. <laughs> I mean, he said a lot. He said that Jesus is the Messiah. He's called Him Lord, a word in the Old Testament which means God. He says his sins have been forgiven by Jesus. He has received Christian baptism. He claims to have seen and heard Jesus having two visions of Him. But all of a sudden they go crazy. What is it? Well, they couldn't handle was that God would save the Gentiles without going through the Jewish nation. Paul was saying that Jews and Gentiles were equal before God. They were equal in their need for salvation and in the one answer for salvation, which is faith in Jesus Christ. This struck to the very core of their identity. Remember the two things we said they were relying on? Their heritage and their works righteousness. 
their good works. And, and Paul, by saying he was called to the Gentiles, suddenly means their heritage doesn't mean anything. It doesn't privilege them before God in any way. The Gentiles and the Jews are on the same footing of needing salvation. And then he says, right, that their, their, their good works, that's not going to do them any good. Because the, the law that they sought to follow to establish their relationship with God, the Gentiles didn't even have that law. You know, when you're faithful to God's word, this kind of reaction is going to happen. And it's going to happen increasingly. Uh, as our culture begins to um, make some poor decisions, you know, with gender and sensuality and sexuality and pronouns, and it's, it's going to get hard. And there's going to be the temptation to hide what you believe and to live in fear of reaction of others. Now, now Paul was very tactful here. He could, have, he could have just come out of the gate swinging, but he knew that the gospel was offensive enough. And so he let the gospel offend we try to be tactful, but, but there, there will be a cost. Because, see, just like the difference between the Jews there and Paul, it's like oil and water. One has been converted and one is not. One is living in light. One is living in darkness. And the darkness likes darkness. And we're called to live in this world and to be light and salt. And there are going to be times where it's going to be really hard. And it might cost us. In fact, it will cost us. But don't you want to hear those words of Jesus well done, good and faithful servant. That's a good prize to move towards, to work towards. It belongs to us in Christ Jesus, not by our works, but by what He has done for us, but to live in those words that, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, finally, quickly, we see Paul in verses 22 to 30. He's going to invoke his rights as a Roman citizen. Paul does this in several places in Acts. He doesn't always. He could have in some places in which he didn't. He did not in Philippi. He was beaten with rods when he could have said, you can't do that as a Roman, uh, for, to a Roman citizen. But here, the, the, the tribune is really confused about what's going on. He probably doesn't understand Aramaic, the dialect of Hebrew that was spoken at the time. He's probably really confused about what's going on. He just knows that this mob situation that he had stopped is now going again. They're taking off their clothes, probably to fling stones at him. They're throwing up dust in the air. This is a pretty dangerous scene. And he says, let's take them inside, we're going to string them up, and we're going to flog them. Now, to flog is what Jesus went through before he was crucified, and it was to whip with uh, things uh, called a cat of nine tails, and it had bone, metal, and, and glass uh, tied to the ends of, these, of the ends of the whip. And it would often kill the person who was being interrogated. It was a really effective way to get a confession, but it's not, you're not allowed to do it to a Roman citizen. So they string them up, and then in one of those you waited till this moment kind of things, Paul turns and says, is it legal for you to do this? And the centurion gets really nervous. He runs to the tribune and says, what are you doing? The tribune comes in and he makes sure this is true. He really is a Roman citizen. and he, In fact, it was even illegal for, him to, for them to put Paul in chains. They could be in a lot of trouble. So God uses the Roman citizenship bit to preserve Paul's life. And we're going to see this really govern the rest of the book of Acts because he's eventually going to end up in Rome because he's a Roman citizen, because he will appeal to Caesar. So how do we land this plane? Well, this ends our text, but it really begins the new section, the last section of the book of Acts. 
Um, as we think about how to apply this to our own lives, there exists between you and your unbelieving friends and family a great chasm. You may have many hobbies, close friendships. You may even have a shared home. But if you've been washed by the blood of Jesus and they haven't, if you've been made new and given a new heart and they haven't, then my friends, conflict will arise. And the question is, how, how are we going to deal with it? See, the thing is, you've been given a story, a story that we're called to tell the nations, but also our own people, the nation, our people, of the love of Christ for lost sinners like you and like me, that this chasm might be broached, because the chasm between us and God has been broached by the God-man Jesus for His people at the cross. It may cost you. It may bring ridicule. But let us heed the words of Isaiah 2, verse 22. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he? Let's pray. Father, may we be faithful to share this story to the nations and to our own people, our own family, whatever it may cost us. We thank you, O Christ, that you endured the cross, you endured the cost with joy, that we might be the firstborn, that we might be the first fruits, rather, that we might be called the children of God. We pray these things in the name of our Savior. Amen.